and high school age students at our house over the last number of years now has been they keep us from getting exceptionally old very quickly. They keep us up to date with some of the things that are out there, like uh, stuff that goes viral, stuff on YouTube. If you don't know what YouTube is, uh, you need to join us in the 21st century, okay? Uh, but in the course of all of this, one of the things that uh, Lauren showed us a while back that we've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of in our family since then is this uh, video that came out that was a wife and a husband as particularly the wife made the husband pay for things that normally would be just routine stuff of living. Particularly when she would catch him outside the house or outside of the car, she would lock the doors, and then when he tried to get in, she would say to him he had to dance in order for her to let him in. Now, on the surface, that sounds kind of weak, all right? Uh, But it is hilarious to watch, all right? So I want to show you a couple of the dance. No, I'm just kidding. See, I had you for just a second there. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an in- entertaining thing. You can look it up on YouTube uh, if you get a chance. And uh, just for the record, if some of you wives are thinking about doing that to your husband, I am not responsible, okay? Uh, I just gave you the idea, that's all. Uh, I lived a metaphor this morning for the approach of our whole message today. After we finish the baptism, you'll notice that the girls go and they change in there. The men go outside and down the side and into the back and change back there. And after everybody else was out, it was my turn to go out. And Jerry was standing over there and the door locked where I could not get out. And that made me have to walk inside. Now, by the way, my feelings are hurt uh, because... Brian said, you know, give your neighbor a hug and greeting like that. I went to the chairman of the deacons, offered to give him a hug. Just because I was wet, he wouldn't do it. So I had to go inside, down the side and out, all right? Because that door was locked and I could not get out. I want you to think of that and hold on to that because it is a perfect metaphor. I didn't plan it. I don't know if the door's broken. If a fire breaks out, go that way, not that way, okay? But it's a great metaphor for what I want us to talk about today. Particularly, the title of this message is, (laughs) Unlock the Door. John chapter 20, we find this particular incident in the life of Jesus and his disciples that is challenging to us. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, we read this. And on the evening of that day... The first day of the week, now I should stop and kind of bring you up to speed here. This is the very day that the morning of that day, the ladies went to the tomb because it was after the Sabbath, after Jesus had been crucified. You remember the sequence of events? Now normally we don't preach about those or talk about those unless it's Easter time. This is Easter Sunday if we want to put it in our terminology here. The day that the disciples got the word that Jesus had risen from the dead. On that day, back to verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And let me just stop there. We'll come back to the rest of it in a little bit. I want you to get the picture of what's going on there. Disciples crowded together in that upper room, And while they're there, it says the doors 
are locked. Now, that's no accident, the terminology that's used there. Notice the plural. The doors were locked. Not just one door, not the one coming in from the outside, but the one coming in from the outside and then also the one into, in the room into which they were. They were deathly afraid, and so they locked themselves in for fear of what was out there. So let's talk about that for just a little bit. Let's try it on to see how much of us is in those disciples at that point. I think it's a fitting description for many churches and actually many Christians. Given the most wonderful news, the most liberating news of all of history. In fact, the moment that all of history was pointed to. These disciples react to that incident or series of incidents in the life of Jesus by going in and locking themselves in and walling themselves off from the world. You know any churches like that? I can tell you of a few churches, and I don't want to go into a big, long explanation of this because I don't really like to highlight some of the stuff that we're highlighting, but I want to make sure that we try on for personal size the stuff that we're talking about here. I know of a church, for instance, in the area that I came from. It's a church that has, at this particular point in time, probably 75 members. I know the pastor of that church well. He was a youth minister in the same time frame that I was down in that area. And we spent some time together. And matter of fact, as he progressed in his life and we were friends, we saw each other go through some of the same things. And uh, Actually, he died just a few months ago now. And, uh, and I watched him pour his life into a couple of different churches, first as a youth minister and then as a pastor. And I watched him in this particular church that I'm referring to here as he went into this church, which probably at that time had maybe 150 people. But that church with 150 people had nobody under uh, retirement age. And because of that, one of the things that he ran into with them was this desire to just be comfortable inside the church. Let me tell you something, that's not a function of age at all. That's a function of thinking. And so in that church, they opted for, we like us. Now, we might like a few of you out there, but we know we like us. So effectively what they did was they locked the doors of the church. It's like this one over here. Somebody tries to get out of the church, into the community, and the door's locked. You can't get out. And by the way, it works the other way too. Nobody can get in. So now over a period of 20 years or so, we've watched that church go from being a struggling church to being a dying church. That fits well with another church in the same area. Actually, it's about 20 miles down the road. And if you go there today and look for the First Baptist Church of Mercedes, Texas, you won't find it. Because they locked the doors years ago, refused to get out into the community... And they died. And their church building was just given off to somebody else who might find a use for it. I'm afraid that this behind locked doors level of thinking is rampant in the church of the 21st century. One of the things that I want to really do today 
as we gather together as a family, one meeting where we're all together every quarter, I want to come back to our vision statement and just kind of hold it out there in front of us. If you didn't get a bulletin this morning, then I want to make sure you get one on your way out because at the top of the bulletin, by the way, it's not just there today, it's there every week. There is a statement that says Crestwood is a connected community. Matter of fact, I'll read it. I probably could quote it, but I don't want to mess it up. Crestwood is a connected community that produces disciples, that is, of Jesus Christ, who gather regularly for vibrant worship, dispersing into the communities of southeast Texas and beyond, sharing life. If I could get you to memorize that and put it to work in your life every day, and especially every day you come to church, I would love that if I could do that for you. But I can't do that for you. When you come to church, what do you think? When you show up here, what's on your mind? One of the things that churches tend to, tied to this living behind locked doors, a lot of churches tend to doing church just for the sake of doing church. It's a social gathering place. It's a place where we see our friends. It's a place of safety. Well, that's actually the picture that we have here. These disciples, on the ultimate day of history to that point, and to this point for that matter, there's coming a day that will trump that one, but up to that point, the most ultimate day of history. And what are they doing? They're hiding behind locked doors. Oh, they're all together, and there's benefit to that. That's what I call a privatized faith. It's my faith that works for me, that works for us. But the problem with privatized faith is that it's not what God gives us. Now be careful how you hear what I'm saying. Hear everything that I'm saying this morning, not just part of it. There is that element of us that is private. It's it's our own personal walk with God. And there is that other part of it that's a little less private, but still private, and that is our church life together. But that privatized faith is not the ultimate end that God gives us. As a matter of fact, Jesus commissions us to unlock the doors and get out of the building. Privatized faith is not the ultimate goal of the Christian life. And yet if we're not careful, we slip into that. And even if you look at that vision statement that we have as a church, much of that is tied to us. We're a connected community. We are connected with one another. There's fellowship there. There's, there's a blending of lives together, and we need to have that. A connected community that gathers regularly for vibrant worship. That's us. And it's critical. Matter of fact, next week, we'll talk about worship a little bit as we begin to preach through the points of purpose that we have identified as a church. But it's not the end for us connected community that meets regularly for vibrant worship, produces disciples in the process of doing that. That's very internal in its focus. But ultimately, the goal that Jesus gives to us is to push us out into the community with the faith that we have. How are we at the point of community? Let's explore our privatized faith just a little bit and see how we're doing with that. Yesterday, as a church, we celebrated together 
the wedding of one of our family's daughters. And I was uh, intrigued with that. First of all, how hot can it get in a church building? That's my first question. All right. I thought today, after, you know, that's tea water over there. Told you that last time. I thought I would come out and I'd be much browner just because I've been steeping in the water over there today. Uh, and I thought I might do a T.D. Jakes impersonation for you today and sweat through my suit. But it's not nearly as hot today as it was yesterday over in that other building, right? And yet, as hot as it was, first wedding I've ever done where people were out there doing like this, like, like a wave at a baseball game. And yet, in the midst of all of that, our family gathered together and celebrated together. I, I watched as some of you talked with some people who part of the life of this church in the past and came back in for the wedding for whatever reason not here today and I watched as you reached out to them and I saw those connections between you and other people that's a wonderful part of what God does with us as a people of God and we need to always emphasize that and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks the connected part is a critical part of our privatized faith and we have to do that very well very intentionally very strategically even beyond that we also need to do worship i'm sure glad you're here brian okay nobody else is but i'm glad you're here okay now see that's not true right aren't you glad he's here i'm glad his wife brought him with her when she came and one of the reasons already it's because we see God use him to take us to vibrant worship. Is that a true statement? That's right. Is that important for us as a church? Absolutely. But it's not the end. Another thing, part of our privatized faith is how we help each other grow. Producing disciples. Now, we don't do that as well as we could. I've been working on some things this summer as we go into the new church year, which comes up pretty quickly now. There's some things that I'm going to recommend that we do that we very strategically approach this concept of making disciples. But we still do it. We have Bible study groups that meet on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, not on these kind of Sundays, but most Sunday mornings. If you're not part of that, you need to be part of that. That's where we connect better. That's what helps us when it comes time to worship together, one of the things. We need to be about the privatization of our faith. But nowhere in Scripture will you find that that's the acceptable end for us. These disciples who have walked with Jesus for over three years, who have watched him, who have been part of his life, who have seen all of these things, every one of them have heard what he has to say and yet they find themselves behind locked doors what do you do with that here's a statement that i've given you before i want you to remember it and i'll see to it that you have the opportunity to remember it because you'll hear it many times from me god has strategically placed each one of us in a circle of people who desperately need life let me run that by you one more time I want you to get it 
God has strategically placed every one of us in a circle of people who desperately need the life that only he can give. How's that going for you in your circle? You see, the problem with a privatized faith, the problem with living in the upper room with all the disciples and feeling safe and secure in that point, the problem with all of that is that that circle of people into which God has placed you is not just those people. And so we can retreat back into our nice, air-conditioned, or moderately so, buildings, And we can sing great hymns of the faith and we can sing new choruses and we can worship together and we can feel good about being Christian people. And the person right outside of our door is dying and going to hell. And it just doesn't fit for us to go to them. Sharing life. That's what we're about. And God strategically places us in the circle of people who need what he has, that we are his primary agents to take to them. And how are we doing with that? Just yesterday, (laughs) I almost hate to tell you this, but full disclosure. By the time we finished the wedding and all of those things that go with that, Teresa and I went home and I was tired, okay? I'm out of shape, whatever you want to call it. I was tired, all right? So we sat down. I'm a wimp, whatever, okay? I sat down and I was thinking, man, I'm glad that this day's over. And she looked at me. She looked at me and she said, you know, uh, so-and-so, I'm going to leave it at that, not tied to this church at all. So-and-so in this community asked us to come over and see them this afternoon. And I looked at her. Now, in my mind, okay, now I didn't say it out loud, that's why I'm still standing here, but in my mind, I thought, I'm tired. Let me tell you something, this person does not go to church, as far as I know. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's the case, because they pretty much told me that. And so she, and she, you know, it's not her problem, it's my problem. She just reminded me of something that we had had a discussion about, and so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm tired. But fortunately, God used her to break through my feeble excuses. And we got up, we went over, and in the process of seeing these people, I got into a discussion with one of the two of them. And in that discussion, they brought up church. Let me tell you something. This is going to surprise you, I know. Everybody out there doesn't think so highly about everybody in here. And part of the discussion with him, understanding that I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher, uh, some people don't understand the difference between those two, but in that part of that discussion, part of what he kept bringing up to me was, I bet you like making people feel guilty, don't you? I said, I love it. Are you kidding? (laughs) No, that's not true. The hardest messages I ever preach are the ones that come out as a real challenge to you. I'd much rather stand up here and talk about the love of God and how wonderful it is and how great it is. Be part of the family of God and all those kind of things. But the problem with us is we really like those. We don't like to be pushed out of the doors. And I tried to share that with him. 
And here's what he said. The, most, the highest compliment he could have paid me in all of that discussion was, well, if that's true about you, you're not the normal kind of preacher. Yes. Amen. I like that. Well, at least I want it to be true. But you know, really, the problem is not our preachers. The problem is all of us. Because we love to get behind our locked doors. These disciples. Well, let me, let me just say, I want to say one more point about that before I go on. In that circle of friends that God has strategically placed you in, how regularly does the conversation with those people turn to sharing life as we have as part of our vision statement? You see, it's not just enough to live the gospel in front of them. That's critical, okay? Don't bother saying the gospel in front of them if you're not trying to live it in front of them, okay? People are smart. They're going to figure out, hey, that don't drill with me. But it's not enough just to live it in front of them. We've got to be willing to share it with them. And let me just get on one. <laughs> this is one of my modern soapboxes, okay? I'm going to get on it and get off of it very quickly. Don't be a Facebook Christian or a Twitterese Christian. You know what the time I'm talking about? It's the kind that will post all kinds of stuff on Facebook about how spiritual you are, but you won't talk to somebody face-to-face about the Lord. People see that. People get that. If it's not real enough to share life with them, then don't bother, but be prepared for God to deal with you. Because we're not called to a privatized faith. We're called to missional living. Let me, let me say one more thing here about where we are in this passage. They were behind locked doors, and why does it say they were? This is back to your Bibles. For fear of the Jews. Why were they afraid? Maybe I should come back to this. I looked up this word afraid in the Greek language. You know what it means in Greek? It means afraid. There's no big secret here. You know, you ever been afraid when it comes to sharing your faith with somebody? And I'm not talking about a witnessing thing. I'm talking about a stand for Jesus Christ. That scare you just a little bit? If it doesn't, you ought to watch the news and see what kind of shots the guy from Chick-fil-A is taking because he took a stand for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You can take this to the bank. You take a stand for Jesus Christ, somebody's going to take a shot at you. But you're in good company. Because Jesus was strung up on a cross because of who he was. Privatized faith moves us to a decision. And for these disciples, they have good cause to be afraid. Part of it is they might have just been disillusioned a little bit. You remember those discussions that Jesus had with them? Those times when they were walking along and uh, they're asking but, or they're talking between themselves, Jesus stops and says, hey, wh- what's going on? What are you talking about? And they're a little bit embarrassed to talk about it. Another place, their mom wasn't too embarrassed to talk about it, so she brought it up. Same question, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's so much like a bunch of preachers. But you know what's behind that question? Behind that question was an awareness. Now, it was misinformed to some extent. 
But it was still an awareness where they knew that Jesus Christ was going to win in the end. And he was going to establish his kingdom. It was misinformed because they thought it was going to be one that would come in and sweep the Romans out of power. And they would rise up and they would be in charge. And these guys, the twelve chosen, were arguing among themselves, which one of us gets to be the best of the best? And so now, remember this is Easter Sunday. They got the word that Jesus has risen. But they're disillusioned potentially, not potentially, I think definitely so, by the fact that all of a sudden our king of kings, the coming Messiah who is now with us, has been killed and put and stuffed in a tomb. There's a disillusionment that comes. And I'm telling churches are full of disillusioned Christian people who haven't quite tapped in to the life that Jesus offers. Certain amount of head knowledge, but it doesn't match up with the heart part of it. And it leaves you hungry. So maybe, maybe they're afraid because they see that it's not working. And by the way, that disillusionment stretches into some disappointment because after all, these guys left everything to follow him. And now for three days, he's been dead. But most certainly they're afraid because of what's happened. Jesus was crucified as a traitor, as a blasphemer. The Romans and the Jews both now have something against Jesus and his followers. And you can fully expect that if they're going to take the leader of the movement and put him on a cross and kill him, then they're going to do the same thing with whatever followers they can catch. No wonder they get behind locked doors and huddle down and hunker down with one another. As much as that is a comforting thing for them, it's still not that to which they have been called. We should hold on to that truth for just a moment. It is an intimidating thing to live your Christian life publicly. Somebody won't like it. Matter of fact, lots of somebodies won't like it. Privatized faith Makes us feel good on the inside. But it's got to get outside the doors. You've got to get out into the community where it's dangerous. And you can't control the environment there. And there are people out there who are mean people. There are people out there who are evil people. Is that good cause for us to just hunker down? Lock the doors and stay inside? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. But before we do, let's take one more run by these apostles, these disciples. And let's make sure we fully get why it was not okay for them to be behind locked doors. First of all, think for a moment. I, I know... Jesus has been crucified, all of those things we just talked about. But let's think for a moment about the things that these disciples had witnessed over a a three-and-a-half-year period. How about Jesus walking on the water? That's one of those things you don't see on a regular basis. What about that? With them, Had they seen enough in Jesus as he raises Lazarus from the dead for them not to have an excuse to be afraid behind locked doors? How about when he fed the multitudes two different times 
with almost nothing. Was that enough of a cause for them to look beyond the threat of the day to see here's somebody who has more to life than we could ever bring to it ourselves? How about the teaching that he gave them? Not just what they had seen and all of those miracles, but how about the things that he said to them? That disillusionment and the disappointment that we just got through talking about. Jesus had warned them of that. He had said, we're going to Jerusalem and when we get there, they're going to take me and they're going to kill me. So they shouldn't have been surprised by what happened. Then he also said, but I will come back. I will rise again. They should have known those kind of things. But this don't be too hard on them because we're just like them. What have you seen Jesus do? And yet still we lock the doors and hunker down. Lots of reasons as we look at this. Oh, oh, by the way, there's one more thing. You remember that passage over there in one of the Gospels where it says, and more than one of them, by the way, but where it says that Jesus called them to himself and he gave them the authority to do the same things he was doing and he sent them out to do what? The same thing he was doing. These disciples, as much as I want to give them some credit and a little bit of understanding to let them off the hook. I can't do that because I can't let myself off the hook on this deal. I believe that one of the greatest threats to the vitality of the church in America today is that we love our locked doors. So how does Jesus deal with that? Let's go back to the passage and finish up. Back to John chapter 20, verse 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. What did Jesus do in response? It says, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. <laughs> what is it? when we adopt that privatized faith where we feel good about ourselves and we want to live for one another, what is it about that that ultimately moves us out? And the answer is Jesus shows up. And you can be sure that if Jesus shows up, by the way, according to Scripture, he's with us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. We're going to talk about that in just one second here. But even in the midst of that, it's not that he has to show up because he's not around. He's always around, but there are those times where he breaks through all of our stuff and we recognize his presence in a very real way. And in this case, he shows up with them. He does not bring condemnation. He doesn't jump their case about saying, Hey guys, what is it about y'all that when I got hung up on the cross, y'all fled? What's the deal with that? He doesn't do that. He doesn't even come in and say, Hey, what are you doing behind locked doors? He comes in and he meets them exactly where they are. He is wonderful at doing that, by the way. If you're here today and your life is spinning out of control for you, Jesus meets you right there. And he says to his disciples then, and to us, peace to you. Isn't that an amazing thing? That where fear ruled the day, peace overcame. And the Son of God himself steps into the room, and the first thing he says is peace. Peace. 
no accident, you know. He is the Prince of Peace. And that life that we're called to share, part of our vision statement, that's a life of peace. First of all, it's peace with God. Only Jesus can accomplish that. But then beyond that, it's peace as we go out into a world that is a threatening environment to us. And when we think about throwing the doors open and going out, I'm not even talking about bringing people in. I'm talking about going out. And when that threatens you and it gets in your head and fear starts taking over, and what about my kids? And what are we going to expose my children to? And what about my family? Let me tell you something. God says, go and peace be with you. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to live in fear. Peace. That's so important that Jesus says it twice in this little passage. Let me finish reading. Verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. That's because some of them didn't believe it, that it was really him, because after all, he did die, you know. (laughs) And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And here's the kicker. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Called to go. Privatized faith is critical, but it is not the end. It's not even the goal for us. It is to get out into a world that is lost, dying, and suffering, and take peace. You can't take what you don't have. It's no secret then that Jesus comes to his disciples and gives them what they need, which is peace. The privatized part of your life, how, how are you with that part? Let me, let me just come down, I'll pull it down to this. This comes out of some of my experience this week. We can get up and have these kind of services all day, every day, all month long. But you've got to have the personal point of contact, that personal vitality that comes with a relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. This week, a lot of activity around here. Summertime, a lot of stuff going on. A bunch of our kids went to camp this week. Was that this week? Some of you adults are saying, yeah, it was this week, all right. Uh, and then we had other things happening. Teenagers doing stuff, weddings. It's busy around here this week. And at one point, I just kind of felt like I needed to detach. And so I came into this building. This building's used really heavily for about an hour a week, maybe a couple hours a week. Beyond that, it's not a whole lot going on. So I came over here one morning this week, and I went back into the cry room back over there, kept the lights off, just me and God. And in that time that I had with the Lord there, he brought me back to some things that easily get pushed to the side in busy schedules. And it easily gets pushed to the side with a church full of opportunity and things that we need to work on. And my mind's thinking, okay, we need to address this and all these multiple fields that we need to be working on here in a church. And he brought me back to that fundamental part of life with him, and that is life with him. Not life for him, but life with him. There's all the difference in the world there. What I'm saying with that is, how long has it been since you had such a private time with God that it so enveloped who you were that you had to get out with it? You see, that's the picture with God. A personal, privatized faith always 
steps out of yourself because he's a missional God. So how is it with you? Do you find yourself standing at a door that's locked where you can't get out? You remember that old thing with President Bush? (laughs) When he tried to get out the door someplace and he pushed on the door, it wouldn't work, and he just stood back like this, trying to look dignified when he couldn't get out a locked door. That's the church of the 21st century in America, trying to look alive but struggling with locked doors. Let's unlock them because there are people in this community who desperately need life. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us with this. We so easily adopt an us mentality that pushes the world out and holds on to that that we love so much and kills our witness. So we ask you help us today in Jesus' name.